Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heelan, managing editor of Pro Basketball Talk with you as always. And today, hey, we're going to start breaking down the playoffs. We are, well, in the east end of the second round. In the west, we're almost there. We're going to talk about all that with Keith Smith from Yahoo Sports, breaking down because he's seen Toronto in person. He's obviously followed the Celtics. This is going to be a, uh, an interesting conversation about the East, but, uh, well, Keith, come on in. Let's talk about this. I think we kind of have to start in the West because there were some, I don't know if you noticed this, some fairly interesting games on Tuesday night, and Damian Lillard announced his presence with authority. Yeah, he absolutely did. That was a lot of fun, you know, watching Dame go to work against Russ and that entire series, watching those two guys go head-to-head. And then, you know, as Dame himself said, he got the last word, you know, when he hit that absolute bomb for the series winner. And, you know, that there was a my, – my take on that shot has been it was a great uh, moment, but it wasn't a great shot, but that didn't lessen my enjoyment. If anything, it made me enjoy the play even more. Yeah, exactly. I don't think Paul, I get where Paul George was like, that's, you know, after the game, for people who don't know, he said, that's not a good, that's a bad shot for most people. A yes. Lillard though, actually has that range. Like, I think you at least need to kind of contest and I get that what you don't want to do is get up too high and let him get by you a little bit, but he's, you know, I think actually for the season, he shot 39% from 30 to 40 feet. Like you, you've kind of got to be out there on him. Cause there's at least a chance that thing goes, uh, that said, it was, I think, the back and forth between them and the emotions of that series made it the most fun one of the first round because there, uh, maybe Philly and Brooklyn came close, but I don't know that anybody had the intensity of emotion that that OKC and, and Portland did and how how mad, I mean, A, Portland played with, it wasn't even a chip on their shoulder, like the, the boulder that was on their shoulder through this thing because of last year, plus just how they felt about the talkativeness and the kind of brashness of OKC. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's it's always you're always going to get a little more when it's division rivals going head to head. I think, you know, those teams have already seen each other four times. They see each other four times every year. And those games are usually pretty heated. And, and there's some some history there. And I think also I think Portland looks at it and rightly so as. Every, almost everyone was picking OKC to win that series. Mm-hmm. And I think just in general, they look at it as, you know, hey, here we are tucked away, the only team up in the Pacific Northwest, you know, now that the, the Sonics have been gone for, you know, several years now. And I think they are, in a lot of ways, they, they're kind of the forgotten team in the NBA, even despite the fact that they're always good. 
but we all just kind of look at them and say, yeah, they're always kind of there, but they, they never do too much. And I think, you know, that that's kind of become almost a bit of a rallying cry for these guys, especially around Dame and, you know, making plays. And I think that's going to be really important to help carry them forward all the way into, you know, the second round of the playoffs and maybe even beyond. Well, I was about to say, I think that in the other series, just looking at it, I think Denver's figured San Antonio out, right? They've, they've, they've both figured out that they were more talented and, and this, the kind of really – who thought the smartest move of the playoffs for coaches so far would be starting Tory Craig? But here, here we are. Um, and I think that, that, that they've started to figure it out. It's Denver's gained confidence, but that matchup with Portland would be – almost a coin toss to me. Like it's really interesting. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. I agree completely. I think Portland can, when they're playing at their best, they can play with anybody. And I think, you know, that they can mix it up. They'll, they'll miss Nurkic obviously, but if Ennis Cantor plays the way he did against the Thunder, where, you know, one of the most important things was he wasn't a complete zero on the defensive end. He was at least competitive, yeah. you know, in fighting. And I think, you know, he can do some things. Now Jokic is a very different animal to guard than Steven Adams. So that's going to give him, you know, some trouble there, but they've got other, things they can go to if they need to so I do think you know that they've got a chance to make this you know a good competitive series and I think what we'll ultimately see uh out of those guys is that they will um how do I want to put it? They'll go at them. And, and I'm with you. I do think Denver has figured out San Antonio. I, I still think the Spurs will, will get it to a game seven. I just have that much respect for them, their home crowd, all those things. But I think in the end you will see, you know, Denver Portland, and that's going to give us four really good series. It, it, yes. That's our worst one. We're, we're doing pretty good as NBA fans. Yeah. Cause that is a, like you said, a, a really interesting matchup series. And I, I look, I get it. Cantor. Absolutely played, I think, the best playoff series we've ever seen him have. Um, and by the way, I love the tweeted afterwards, can play Cantor back at them. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, by the way, Billy Donovan should be polishing his resume, maybe fielding some college calls. Um, he's he's going to be looking for employment, um, I think, fairly soon, don't you? Uh, yeah, I think that's that's true. I think you know he he might have wished the UCLA job was still open, you know, or the uh, St. John's job. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe he could have picked up one of those two and brought you know one of those former powerhouses back to your know, relevancy in the NCAA. But you know, at this point, I just I I feel for him because I don't know how far anybody is yeah. going to go with with this Thunder roster and their, their limitations. They, they've kind of backed themselves into a corner a little bit. I, I do have faith in Sam Presti to go and get pieces and make some moves and make some things happen. But I think this team's upside is fairly limited. I th- I was just going to get to that. I think that part of the problem what for them going forward is that for people don't, they, they are pretty much capped out. Like, because remember maxed out Russell Westbrook, maxed out Paul George, uh, Steven Adams makes north of $20 million a year, right? I, I'm going to forget the exact number, but he makes a ton. You're not going to be able to make a lot of maneuvering around that. And you're going to have trouble finding the shooting and the, the defensive guys and some of the stuff they need. They do get Andre Roberson back next season, knock on wood. But I don't know what they're going to do. And I, I guess the question becomes like, who do you bring in as a coach that can change it up a little bit, change up the system a little bit to get them to share the ball more and be a little less ISO, a little less Westbrook against the world? The flip side of that is, what are you going to do? Have Westbrook play off the ball? Like, I don't know what you do that's going to be different and make that these guys are going to buy into that's going to make them better. They're not going to suddenly become Golden State or Denver or Utah or a system team like that. 
No, absolutely. And, and I'm with you on the coach. You know, I think in a lot of ways, maybe a guy like Monty Williams, who has head coaching experience, yeah. could be good for them. He's a guy who a lot of players respect around the NBA for, you know, his his career as a player and then as an assistant and then as a head coach. I think, you know, he could do do some things to get guys there. But I've heard a lot today about this. You know, next year they need to go in with Dennis Schroeder starting and Russ off the ball. And, and I just look at it and say, Russ is not going to – go into a season and say, all right, I'll move off the ball for Dennis Schroeder. Like yeah. maybe if it was Chris Paul or, you know, Kyrie Irving or somebody like and that. And even then, you know, yeah, even then he's probably not going to, you're right. But, but I think, you know, then you maybe stand a chance of convincing him, but, but not for Dennis Schroeder. And, and all you're going to do if you force that is then every time he touches it, instead of getting the plays where he breaks the defense down and finds somebody else, he's just going to make sure he's get, still getting his shots up and the offense is going to be even more ragged and disjointed. So I just don't think that's that the the right answer. I think what you absolutely have to do is you got to find a way to surround him with five shooters. And as much as I love Steven Adams and everything he does for that team, I'm starting to wonder, they, they need to get some form of stretch five option there so you can mm-hmm. go into periods of games with Russ and four shooters around him that can make a bunch of plays because I he it's I always say this Russ is a weird guy because he's got selfish tendencies but he's such a willing passer that like he he will find guys if he can when he gets frustrated is when he comes down makes the right play three four plays in a row nobody hits a shot and then the next thing you know Russ is coming back and saying you know all right well if you're not going to do it then I'm going to and that's where everything really falls apart for OKC. Yeah, I think Kobe was kind of the same way in a lot of ways. Where he, if the other guy, if he trusted the other guys and he thought they would knock down shots, you know, Pau Gasol and, and the Derek Fishers and the guys he trusted, he'd dish it. But otherwise, he's like, you know what? If it's me or passing it to Schmush Parker, I'm just going to shoot over the triple team because I I trust myself more. I completely think that's the case. By the way, if you're Monty Williams now, like you're kind of, you might actually want to wait around and see what OKC has to say if if that happens, just because you have to step back and go. What are my options right now? Lakers or Suns? Do you really think, do you really want to work for either of those franchises right now? Like if you have options, is that the option you're going to take? Then that's not saying that the Lakers and, and the Suns for that matter don't have potential and talent, but they are not well-run organizations right now. No, I said this the other day on Twitter, whoever the next Suns head coach is better rent versus buying because you're probably yes. not going to be there very long. You know, and I would recommend his entire staff does the same thing. It's just, you know, they're a mess. And it's 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 really kind of sad because for a long time in the NBA, the Suns were one of the model yep. franchises that, you know, everybody looked to. They were one of the most stable teams. They were the team that was not, no, no one is Spurs like with this Pope postseason run in excellence, but they were Spurs jazz, like where they were in or around the playoffs every single year. And if they missed, they just barely missed. And now, you know, it's just been a disaster for them. And they're, they're going to hire their sixth coach since 2013, which is that that's not, you know, that no one can win in that scenario. I, I forget who I want to say it was Gerald Bourget said, uh, Devin Booker is the NBA head coaches as Harry Potter is to vet to defense against the dark arts teachers, which really made me <laughs> laugh. <laughs> you know, as a guy who enjoys both the NBA and Harry Potter, I thought that was really funny. You know, and then then for the Lakers, it's still the Lakers. You know, I got to believe if they can get the right people. 
people in there doing the right things that they're going to get this thing turned around and they, it's still LeBron James. So, you know, I would, <laughs> I feel like that's still a job you should want. I, I get where everybody's coming from with that though. Like, eh, it's been kind of a mess there. And, you know, LeBron is always not always known as having his coaches back. So, so yeah, I, I if, if I was Monty Williams, I, I might wait around and just see like, all right, let's take a look and see what happens here. Well, what if Philadelphia gets destroyed by Toronto in the second round and they decide, you know what, Brett Brown's not our guy. That's a good job. So I, I wouldn't be in too big of a rush to jump on one of these jobs right away if I was Monty Williams. Yeah, I don't want to go too far down that road, but the number of fans in Philadelphia ready to throw Brett Brown under the bus stuns me still. Just like he Same. is not popular there and they are I've done, you know, I've done TV with uh, NBC Sports Philly before, as well as, uh, you know, some radio stuff and just talking to people. And I am always I'm just always kind of surprised. Like I to me, I think he's done this really nice job building a culture and they're they're done with him. There's just a large portion of the fan base that is ready to move on and doesn't think he can get them to the next level. And maybe he can't. Maybe he can. I think we'll talk about that series in a second. Um, uh, the next round. But. The other series out West might be the most intriguing one in the second round. Both Golden State and Houston need to close out on Wednesday night. We're taping before that half, before those games start. I expect that they both will. And then that sets up a Sunday beginning for that series that, I mean, is it just me? I, I am going to pick Golden State in that series in seven, but I think Houston has a chance. And I didn't think that a month or two ago. Yeah, definitely not just you. That That's my exact same line of thinking too, you know, barring somebody getting hurt today or if these series yeah. extend or anything like that, you know, which, you know, fingers crossed that doesn't happen. We always want everybody to be at their best. I, I think I, I just, I can't pick against the pedigree of the Warriors. I just expect them to do well and to, to win and to move on. So I am looking at it as that that said it's going to be competitive and Houston has a formula this is kind of my go to cuz this quite you you know you do a lot of radio too and those kind of things a lot of people ask and my go to is Houston has the formula to beat the warriors with a bunch of game with a couple games where you hit a whole bunch of three pointers and you play pretty good defense. Then win a game or two where James Harden does it almost by himself. Then the next thing you know, now you're in a game seven. Anything can happen. And it almost did last year, despite Chris Paul being out and the Rockets missing, you know, 27 straight three-pointers or whatever it was. So I think Houston has every reason to feel confident and that they're going to go at the Warriors, you know, with the most confidence of really any team that has played them during the course of this this Warriors run outside of the Cavaliers the year that they beat them in the finals. And one thing I have heard from people around the league since, honestly, since the playoffs shook out, which is if you're Houston and the your traditional flaws are Chris Paul breaks down, James Harden hits a wall from exhaustion, facing the Warriors in the second round rather than the conference finals could, should be better for you. You are less likely to deal with those problems um, than you will later on. And they did get that. And I actually believe that. I think that this might be as good a situation as they can. I just... At the end of the day, and 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 yes, I don't. First off, in this series, I don't think losing Demarcus Cousins hurts Golden State as much as I think a lot of casual people will think it does. They could have pounded him a little bit early and used him, but the way they run the pick and roll, the way Demarcus Cousins was defending and moving on the, you know, in any of those situations, I don't think he was long for the court. I just he was not going to be able to be played much in this series, but I still think Golden State's. Depth of scoring and versatility will eventually wear on. Uh, like they're just going to be able to get enough points and get enough stops to to win this thing. 
Yeah, I'm with you on the Cousins thing. I've heard a lot of smart basketball people say, you know, Cousins, uh, this is where they'll miss him. And I just, I, I don't, I don't get it because I think what the Warrior, or rather what the Rockets would do is they're going to make him defend on the move over and over yep. and over again, whether that's straight Harden. Capella pick and rolls, Paul Capella pick and rolls, Gordon Capella pick and rolls, or they're just going to get him, you know, into switches where then they isolate and go at him that way. I just don't think, I, I just, as much as I thought Cousins brings an element that the Warriors have not had during this run, which is dump it inside to a guy and let him go to work and get you a bucket, I just don't think that's something that they really miss. I think they're a little bit better when the ball is, you know, more free flowing and doing those kind of things. And then, and then, Having Andrew Bogut back, he's not yeah. the Andrew Bogut even of their initial run with the Warriors, but he sets good screens, he rebounds, he plays defense, and he doesn't really ever want or need the ball. <laughs> That's you know important no. when you've got you know four four other starters there who you know they they all to varying degrees want and need the ball at times. So I think that that's uh, you know not a huge loss for them. I think Bogut more than makes up for what they would miss or what they would get out of Cousins. Yeah, exactly. And Cousins is a good passing big man. Bogut's a better passing big man. Bogut really does move the ball and and no and was able to Kerr has said this a few times because he'd played there before. He was able to step in and flow with them in a kind of natural way that that wouldn't have happened if they'd gotten another center from outside the system. He was just trying to figure out his way as he's going. He he had the relationships, he had the just the court sense of, oh hey, I know that this is where clay wants the ball or clay is likely to make this cut here and stuff and just sense it. So I think that series is, but I, it really to me comes down to just how good is Houston's defense. It's been impressive over, you know, since the all-star break, really, they were right there with Utah is the dominant defensive teams in the league. It's just a different animal when you've got it's golden state in the playoffs is just different. And I will see how, if they can slow them enough. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, golden state at any time is different because you know, you, I always say the toughest thing about the warriors is you can play fantastic defense for 23 seconds. And then they're going to throw it out to somebody who hits a 35 foot three. And you're just like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? And there's nothing more deflating for a team than to have repeatedly play great defense throughout an entire possession. And then the other teams just tossing in these long bombs. And, you know, I always think I always go back to something Frank Vogel said when he was coaching the Magic and they were playing the Warriors in a regular season game. He said, it's not the three pointers that beat you. That's what makes the highlights. But what beats you is the layups and the dunks. And they're all opened up because of the three point shooting. Yeah, and that's so true, you know, and I, and I do worry about Houston, especially uh, those moments when Capella needs to come off the floor. The Warriors at times have gotten him in foul trouble and he has to come off the floor. I'm worried about what they're going to do back there. Kenneth Freed and Nene make plays and can do some things, but they're just not the same guys. And P.J. Tucker, you ask him to play a lot of the five for an entire series you're probably not going to get as far as you hope with that. They, you want to save that for when the Warriors downsize and go to Dr- Draymond at the five. And that that's, you know, something you want to hold back. It's going to be a challenge, and, you know, that's, that's, that, that's what's going to make it interesting. I think, you know, as much as on the Eastern Conference, I think we might be in for some rock fights. I think the Warriors-Rockets, we're going to be in for some really good, fun offensive basketball, which will, will help after we slog through the East games early in the night. We can flip over and watch some really fun offense to close the evening. Yeah, let's. I, I had you on. Now that we've spent like you know pushing twenty minutes talking about the West and 
and everything there. I had actually brought you in mostly to talk about the East because you uh, used to write and do still write a little for Celtics blog. And you um, are Orlando based. You've got a close up look at Toronto. Um, these two series are just, I mean, I don't, I'm picking Toronto, but I don't feel comfortable with any idea of who's coming out of the East right now. Um, and we start with these series, Toronto and Philadelphia. I, I got my questions about Philadelphia's depth, but did they start to figure things out at the end of this? And, and you, you saw Toronto up close after that, you know, there's just something I think when you sign a contract with the Raptors, there's a paragraph clause in there that says you must stink in the first game of every playoff <laughs> series. Um, if they can, they better not throw one away in this series, but I, once they got past that, I mean, they absolutely just dominated the magic the rest of the way. And I think that they're starting to find a comfort level now that uh, they genuinely believe in themselves that this, this year is different. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They, when they played Orlando, a lot of it was the magic had very unsustainable three point shooting in game one. They, they hit yes. like 14 to 29 or whatever it was. And you were really just ha- had it going. And that's going to be something that they're just not, that was never going to sustain for Orlando. But what Toronto ultimately did was they locked in and said, you know what? Now you're not even going to get those looks. It wasn't even so much as you're going to miss them. We're just going to make you do all sorts of things that are ugly and uncomfortable, and you're not going to feel good about it. And that is, you know, really what what I took away. You know, watching that team in person, getting to see them up close. You know, when you see a team in the arena live, you just catch things you can't possibly yep. see on TV. And one of the things I noticed was they'll lose guys occasionally on back cuts or on, you know, cut throughs from one side of the court to the other. Their switches might sometimes not be exactly right, but they're so long and athletic. It doesn't matter because they, they just, you know, and then, then they pressure up on the ball. And the next thing you know, it's like, ah, we lost a guy, but there's no way the passer could even see it. And if he did, they just, you know, deflect the ball away and make plays. So it's, it was, it was really cool to watch them, you know, go at it. And I think, you know, they're, that they, along with Boston and Milwaukee to a little bit of a lesser extent, you have to be necessarily equipped to defend Philadelphia. And I think that they are equipped to defend Philly and make it tough on them. And, you know, that, that's going to be why I think this might be a pretty ugly series as far as offense goes. Yeah, I think so. I, I agree as well. I, if I were Philly though, would you, at least early in the game, I'm just going to throw and beat at Marcus Gasol and pound him and see if I can like get points there. Cause Marcus Gasol is still a good center and has been fantastic. Look, I think it's the right fit for them. And I think starting him and bringing Ibaka off the bench, which I know Ibaka did not want to do, has been the right move for them. But there, there isn't a good matchup for Joel Embiid. I don't know. Maybe Rudy Gobert. I don't know who else it would be. Like, there isn't a good matchup for Joel Embiid. And I might try to exploit that early if Joel Embiid is healthy enough to pull that off. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I and I think that's how they want to play anyway, is I think they want to go to him yeah. as much as they can. And I think I think Brett Brown's thought process on it is almost exactly what I think you and I would be is I don't know how long I'm gonna have this guy, so I'm gonna use him when he's out there. You know, and I think it beads also of that same mindset. You know, hey, I don't know how much how long I'll be able to go. So when I'm out here, I'm gonna make plays, I'm gonna make things happen. But for Toronto, yeah, you hundred percent just you know, guard him straight up with Gasol. They'll send doubles on occasion or they'll dig down from the top when Embiid puts the ball on the floor. He is still very turnover prone. He's just not a great passer. So they're, they're going to make him work. And then I think when, when Ibaka is in there, that's when you're going to see them doing some some different things. That's when you might see them double a little more. That's when you might see them go at him. But I would be very surprised if we get Ibaka on Embiid for 
very much outside of foul trouble in this series because I think they're really going to focus on matching minutes as much as they can with Gasol on them. And Gasol's got the bulk, the veteran know-how. And and also, I think they're going to play a little bit of the – Gasol will foul them a whole bunch of times because it's the playoffs. They're not going to call all of them. You know, and, and, and he's Mark Gasol. He's still going to get some uh, measure of respect from the officials. Yeah, we could have a whole nother podcast about the officiating so far in the playoffs and the uh, the, the love for Scott Foster around the league. Um, to, to just ask DeMar Rosen who threw a ball at him. And I'll tell you, man, that clip, he, he refed game three of uh, Clippers um, Golden State that I was at. And the after the game, both teams were ready to throttle him. <laughs> Scott Foster, for people who don't know, is not loved by the players and coaches around the league, Yeah, uh, even though he grades out well. There, there's always that belief, too, that if both teams are unhappy, unhappy with the officiating, yep. then, it should, then that usually means they did a good job. In this case, I don't think that's what it is at all. <laughs> I think he could grade out with a perfect game, too, and make every call right, and the players are just there. They're going to hate him. He, that's, yeah. that's just where that relationship is now. Yeah, with him in particular, it's uh, it's 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 pretty bad. Him and Tony Brothers, I think, yeah. just draw a lot of a lot of ire from the players. Um, but that but that's a whole different topic. I I think what's also a, an advantage for Toronto in this series is you can put Pascal Siakam on Ben Simmons, or you can move him around as needed, depending on who you've got. To, do you need to slow Jimmy? Do you need uh, Butler? Um, they, I just think that they have the versatility and length. To, oh, we got to stop. We can throw this guy at JJ Redick now. We can throw whoever you've got that's hot. We've got a defender we can put on him. Yeah, absolutely. And they're going to move Kyle Lowry around too. I think a lot. I think they'll. Yeah. I think Lowry gets gets underrated with how strong he is. So you're not going to go take him in the post all that often. So I think they'll move him around quite a bit. I think you're going to see them do some things with. Uh, it would Siakam, as you said, Danny Green's a very good defender. And then obviously Kawhi yep. is, you know, just yeah, that's the Kawhi's as close to the old Deion Sanders take half the field away as we have <laughs> in the NBA. You know, they're just going to lock him on on whoever. So that's going to be you know, interesting. And then it, then off the bench, if, if you get if uh, OG and Anobi is able to come back, that's just another yeah. long active wing guy that you're going to throw at him. So it's, it's going to be tough for for Philadelphia, I think, to go against. So those guys and, and we've seen them at times be very clunky i think the key for philly is that ben simmons is aggressive from the jump that he gets yep. the ball and he's trying to get inside if you have games from ben simmons where he scores two points and has you know six seven rebounds and five assists and you really kind of just forgot he was out there you're done you're you're not no way you're winning that game no he has to be in an attack mode he has to look everybody's going to give him space to shoot that jumper um, he's got to eat, and he's very good at this. He'll, he'll kind of just eats into that space and gets by you, and he's so athletic, and he's got the spin move and stuff that, he, you know, he's not that easy to stop. But again, as you were saying earlier, this is a long t- – not a lot of a lot of teams struggle with him because of his height and his length. Um, this is one team that can kind of match that, that yep. can throw, like you said, the physicality of Kawhi Leonard and the quick hands of Kawhi Leonard or the length of Pascal Siakam. They can keep giving him look after look after look uh, to wear him down and – or switch whatever they need to. Like, there's, it's not going to be that easy to make them switch. They won't switch the five, but they can switch a lot of things and and help off of a lot of things and make life difficult. And then you get into the bench, and I just I think that that's where I trust Toronto more in this series. I I just believe that as much as the 
Toronto bench wasn't what it was a year ago, it is still vastly superior to Mike Scott and the and the Scottettes. I don't even know what you were calling those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, you know, I, after again seeing Toronto up close here in Orlando and seeing you know Fred VanVleet, Norman Powell, and Serge Ibaka, that's their main three guys. They'll play Ananobi if he's healthy and ready to go. And that's it. That's all you need. You only need eight or nine in the NBA playoffs anyway. You're only playing every other day. And as long as everybody's healthy, you're you're doing pretty good with that. And Toronto knows what they're going to get. Those guys come in. They play hard. They execute what they want them to execute. They play Van Vliet and Lowry together a lot. And Van Vliet is really good at defending shooters off the ball. So I think they have no problem going to him when J.J. Reddick's in the game because he just coming off a series where he guarded Terrence Ross. They're not the same, but they're similar in the way they play off the ball and do a lot of movement. And I think you're going to see them use a lot of the similar principles because I'm not saying Philly's talent isn't far superior to Orlando's because it is, but I think you're going to see them use some of the same principles against them because it's going to be Yo, you're you're defending a couple wings who can score the ball and a point guard who really wants to get in the paint to make plays and then a big who that that's who you want to funnel the offense through. And that's, you know, similar to what Orlando is, just with a lot better players. So they're going to be tested, but, you know, they 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 locked in so well. It's just going to be really hard. And and then for Philly side off the bench and just, yeah, it's Mike Scott and a lot of OK. You know, I mean, TJ McConnell and yeah, guys, yeah, you know, nothing against TJ. And- yeah. You know. To me, TJ is, and there's other guys, even my man, James Ennis from Long Beach State. There's guys where I'm like, I'll take him during the regular season, but they're the guy who gets squeezed. Like if I'm using him a lot in the postseason, I'm a little more worried. Yeah, TJ McConnell is one of those guys where I look at it and I'm just like, it's, you know, he he does some things, you know, I, I mean this as a, as a complete compliment. He's a real pain in the butt. You know, he, he's just one of those guys. He's a pest and you, you know, you know, he's out there. You feel him when he's out there. I think he's somebody that if, if things are going real sideways, uh, Brett Brown will go to him against Kyle Lowry or against Van Vliet say, Hey, go out there, you know, defend him, and, you know, may generally kind of make life miserable. But yeah, as you look down the Philly options, it, you just think if, if somebody gets in foul trouble or somebody's banged up, who are they going to? There's just not really anything there other than maybe Mike Scott, who now is sounds like he's fighting a little bit of a heel injury. Hopefully that'll be okay for the start of the series. You really look at it and saying, I don't know. There, there's nothing you feel good about going to there in that matchup. No, no I think it, I think that that's where they struggle. Um, but that said, that that starting five is still so talented. Um, what did what do you expect out of Jimmy? I'm the Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, that that dance still seems to be going on where they figure out who's doing what for whom. I, what do you expect out of Butler in this series? Yeah, I think Butler will do a lot of the playmaking. And I think if if Toronto sticks with what they did in the regular season where they put Kawhi on Simmons, then I think you have to play through Butler. He's probably going to draw Danny Green at that point. I think they'll throw Lowry on, on Redick. And then we'll, we'll see, or, you know, he, he may get Lowry and that's where I think you go to Butler, you get him the ball, in those mid post actions, you let him really do some things where, you know, he's comfortable, get him, get him the ball where he can work some pick and rolls with, with Embiid. They don't use a lot of screen and roll, but you know, they, they worked some more and especially in the last couple of games against the Nets. And then on, then for Harris, you just need him to knock down shots. You need him to be be out there. Tobias Harris, this goes all the way back to when he was really blossoming in Orlando. You would look up and say, whoa, Tobias Harris has 20 points. I don't remember him making a single shot. 
Sometimes that's a good thing because it means he's just, it's all just kind of happening in the flow of the offense. But his he's never really been a guy who makes big impact plays where you feel and you know he's out there. It's just kind of go, going through through things. And, and what they what you don't want to see, the game they lost against the Nets and the games they lost in the regular season were Harris sits in the corner and he's just a stationary shooter. Like he is a good shooter, but he's not that good. And he's not going to draw people then. You, you got to make sure you at least get him involved and use him. I'd love to see them go to some, you know, Simmons, Butler pick and rolls, Simmons, Harris pick and rolls, Butler, Harris pick and rolls, so things that don't involve Embiid. But unfortunately, we all know, or not unfortunate because it tends to work for them. We know they're going to play through Embiid for the most part yeah. when he's on the floor. Although I think, yeah, I think he's got all that other stuff in the back pocket. Does Masai Ujiri become the second GM in a row against Philadelphia to storm into the referee's <laughs> locker room and complain? <laughs> he, he could. Yeah, I mean, we know Masai's fiery, you know. I, I don't, yeah, exactly. I don't know if he'll go to the official's locker room, but he, he may grab a mic out there and, you know, say, say a handful <laughs> of things and, and let people know how he's feeling. We, we know he's not hesitant to do that. Uh, by the way, talk about something I never kind of thought I'd hear. That's like for people who don't know there there is a referee's locker room at, at Staples Center there's a not a policeman but a you know in-house security guard not one of the big guys more the the usher sized guys we'll call them but there's a guy who stands out in front of that so that nobody goes in like it is verboten to go in there you do not do it no 100% in Orlando it is a, it is a one of the um in-house uh, police officers who's there and it's and the other thing is the officials locker room is completely on the opposite side of the court in Orlando there's a big back hallway and the visiting team dresses at one end of it and the home locker room is obviously at the other end and the officials locker room is completely on the opposite side of the building so if you're doing that you're making an effort to get over there in, in that one I don't I don't know how the setup is where Sean Marks went after it but you know it's a I, I do think though I think it's going to be one of those things that's going to almost be a positive for them yep. i mean so what it's just money i mean a gm yep. suspended for a game so what he watches from home on the tv versus in the arena he's not a coach he's not you know he's not like he's signing a player mid-game so i think it's it's one of those things that's not not that huge of a deal but what it's gonna do is it's every player now is gonna look at him and be like man our this dude has our back he he believes in this team he'll fight for us and that's really cool and you know i th- think that will you know potentially go a long way for the nets you know as they're making some pretty big free agent pitches this summer yeah, I think it plays really well with the with the franchise, with the fans, but with the players, or not only on his team but around the league. And then you've got Josiah coming out and tweeting he's got his support, and then the league tries to bankrupt uh, Josiah with that thirty five thousand dollar fine of one of the guys who founded Alibaba. Good luck with that. Yeah, that's like you and I <laughs> dropping a twenty dollar bill. <laughs> maybe maybe tw- even a I would say twenty more like yeah. fifty cents. Yeah, probably. If that. Yeah, yeah, for real. Um, um, yeah, I, I would actually miss a twenty. Like I would, that one would be, um, the other series is maybe the most interesting one, Boston and Milwaukee in terms of just chess match to me, I've actually picked Boston in this series before the start of the playoffs. Milwaukee, I think gained a lot of confidence steamrolling, a just an outmatched Detroit team, right? I mean, just like they were, they were outmatched if Blake Griffin were a hundred percent and credit Blake Griffin for going out there on, I mean, did you see that brace? Yeah, I, I want a ton of respect for me, you know, just the fact that Blake was, you remember early in his career was like, man, this guy can't, won't play through anything. He has yeah, exactly. sniffle and a hangnail and he's out, out of the lineup for a week and, you know, here he is gutting this thing out. So yeah, I did, you know, earn some respect for him because he really did it in a, in a situation where it was, that was impossible. They weren't winning that series. No matter, he he could have gone out there and broke Chamberlain's record and they probably still lose. 
Exactly. By the way, there are, there are NFL offensive linemen who do not have leg braces that thick. Like that thing was just massive. And he got out there and he actually made some plays. He made them a little bit better. He just, like you said, they weren't going to win that regardless if, and especially with him at, at 50%. But that said, I think, I think the Bucks gained some confidence from that, right? They, they, I mean, this is a team that does have some playoff experience, does has, has had some success before. Now they feel like they're on a roll, but this is a really different chess match of a series. And I, is to me, I'll, you you watch more Boston than I do. To me, Al Horford's the key to this series. Yeah, Al Horford. It's I've said this really continually over the last few seasons. There have been better players on the Celtics, but there's no more important player than Al Horford. He unlocks everything they want to do defensively, and then he is the guy. If you look when they're rolling on offense, it's either because he's getting a lot of touches or they're using a ton of actions that involve him. Even if he doesn't see the ball, he's pulling opposing big men out to the arc because he he has turned into one of the better uh, shooters outside but it's also you you close out hard on him and then he's content to just put the ball on the floor and then go find a teammate or get all the way to the rim himself he he just is really good brad stevens did a really nice job i think this year of managing him and you know giving him days off when he needed him playing him a lot of times in the regular season 20 to 25 minutes and sometimes it was at the expense of getting a win and that bothered Celtics fans to no end. They would get very angry and would say, you know, hey, why can't Horford play more? You know, we have two days off next. Well, it's all about because you want Horford ready to go in April, May, and maybe even into June. That's your your ultimate goal was you wanted to have him there. So I think, think he is the, as you said, he is the key to the series because you're going to ask him to do a ton of things offensively. And then at the end of halves and end of games, you're going to ask him to defend Giannis Antetokounmpo. And that's going to be, you know, that, that's a task that just, you know, that, that's been all, almost impossible. I have a piece coming out on Celtics blog either later today or tomorrow. That's all about defending Giannis. And really it's a, it's one of those problems where it's like, okay, good luck, you know, but, but yeah. here's, here's what you can do, you know? So I, it's, it's going to be really important that Horford is ready to go for those moments when Stevens calls upon him to do that. I believe the strategy is you go to the nearest Catholic church and light a candle. Like, yeah. just, like, there's, I'm not sure what else you can do, but you throw different stuff at him. And I, I think that when you were talking earlier about him pulling the bigs out, that to me is so key in this series. Because if you let Brooke Lopez and Giannis to a degree, but if you let that Brooke Lopez sit back and clog the paint and take away drives and make things harder for Kyrie Irving or Jason Tatum slashing to the rim, then it gets harder to score. It gets much harder to score against this Bucks team because they are freakishly long and athletic. If yep. you pull Brooke Lopez out, things start to open up and you have a that's when that's when they really have a chance. Um, by the way, these are two really long, good defensive teams that too. Yep. It's, I think you're right about this biggest slug. This is not gonna this is not gonna be a, a high scoring series. No, I, I don't think so. I think think it's going to play out similarly to how their last regular season game did, which was a 98-97 Milwaukee win. I think we're going to see see these two teams maybe struggle to crack 100 points just because, the, as you said, they're, they're good long defensively, both sides. They're they're good individual defenders. They're good team defenders. They both the, the Celtics. It's it's waxed and waned throughout the season, but but in the playoffs they're playing with really great effort, and a lot of that is keyed by Kyrie Irving. He's never going to be a great defender. That's just not 
not who he is. It's not what they pay him all that money to do. But what they do ask Kyrie to do is just play with great effort. And he did that against Indiana. I think you're going to see that continue. And then both teams, when they go go to their benches, yeah, they, they lose some things. I think Milwaukee loses more than Boston does because Boston doesn't lose a whole lot defensively, especially no. if Marcus Smart can get back. And but what is his status, by the way? I, I, I was going to ask that. Where where What is the – I know it's like a daily thing like in, yeah. in Boston. What is the Marcus Smart update roughly? Yeah, so it, what was interesting was it first started yesterday. He they The media caught a glimpse of him in the Celtics who practice facility. They've got all kind of their workout equipment on a second level, and yep. the practice courts are on the first. And he was up on the second level uh, running on a treadmill. And it was, you know, depending on the reporter somewhere, like he's running and others like he's lightly jogging. And, you know, then it was like it was me at the gym and I'm on, you know, half a mile an hour, barely walking. Um, you know, so it was, it was interesting, you know, that. But then – as kind of things went along in the practice, then they had him down on the court doing some some very light shooting drills. They were even letting the media film it. I I tend to believe if you feel like you're hiding a whole bunch of stuff, you don't allow that. You know, he gets his work done when the media is not around or you're telling the media, hey, no, no, you know, no filming right now. You know, just let the guy do his thing. And then today it was a little bit more of the same. And then he told the media as he was kind of cut, he did not speak with them. But as he was coming off, he kind of gave him a big, giant smile. He was drenched in sweat, and he said, finally. And one of the things that was reported with this injury is it, it becomes a pain management issue after the first two to three weeks. I would be stunned if he's on the court this weekend for game one. I, but I do think there is a chance when you know we're back in Boston and it's game three or game four that all of a sudden Marcus Smart, it, it would not surprise me at all if he you know is out there and that's going to, you know, if for no other reason, just this guy always heals quickly. He's one of the toughest players in the league. And we know what a lift that would give because the, the crowd will just pop off. And let's not forget, that's exactly how things played out last year against Milwaukee in the playoffs. He missed the first half of the series, returned for the second half, and made a huge difference down the stretch. Yep. So, yeah, he, he would be a Willis Reed effect, uh, plus whatever he can bring just on the court. Does how big a, How much different does Kawhi make Toronto? Does he give them that one guy that they can genuinely trust in the clutch and, and then plus just help them get some stops? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's start with his defense. I, I still think, you know, he it's he he doesn't play enough anymore. He doesn't bring it every single night at this point in his career, but when he needs to be still the best wing defender in the NBA, probably the best overall defender in the NBA. I watched him, you know, multiple times against Orlando, just shut things down when he needed to. But then on the other end of the floor, how he may have come as an offensive player from the day he joined the NBA to where he is today, as far as anybody I can remember, because now he is not only a good, competent NBA scorer and playmaker, he's a great one. And I think what's different when you look at DeMar DeRozan and where Toronto has kind of struggled in the past is Kawhi gets all the way to the basket or he's content taking three pointers off the dribble or making plays where it felt like DeRozan always wanted to work his way into that mid post area or the mid range and just shoot followaways, turnarounds, or, you know, off the dribble jumpers from there. And Kawhi's scoring at all three levels and doing it, you know, great. And when he's not scoring, he's making plays for others. So I, I do think he makes a massive difference from where Toronto was in the past. He is also one of the best in the league at just getting to his spots. I mean, I think yeah. all the greats are, all the really elite scorers. Well, Steph Curry's spot is basically like from the parking lot in, but for the rest of them, like 
maybe Dame now too, but for most of these guys, like you want to get to your spot. You want to get to the places you're comfortable on the floor. Everybody knows what they are. The best players can still get there. And he's one of them that just because of the physicality, because he's so strong, but now he's got the handles and everything else. He gets to those spots and then it's game over. Yeah. And then when you factor in that Kawhi has those giant catcher's mitts for hands, he's just making plays. You know, he, he there, there's really not a pass you can throw him that he's not going to catch. Like there, there was a play in game five against Orlando. They threw it. It wasn't really near him. He caught it with one hand and then just turned and flipped it into the basket. It was, it was kind of like when, when I would mess around with my daughter with the mini ball out in the driveway, you know, <laughs> and I would just catch it out of the air and, you know, turn, turn around and just kind of do, do that old, uh, you know, uh, Will Chamberlain finger roll right into the hoop. It was like, well, what are we doing here? Like this guy's doing this on an NBA, floor against NBA, you know, size guys. He's just, you know, incredibly talented and, you know, his offense has finally come far enough that it matches his defense. Who did you pick to come out of the East? So at this point, I'm picking Toronto. Um, They they really, I just, I feel most confident in them. I, you know, I, I'm, I, it's mostly because I'm picking them to beat Philly. Whereas my heart tells me Boston can beat Milwaukee, but I'm still skeptical because of, the, all the ups and downs this year. I'm worried, you know, if they play a bad couple games on the road, does that start to snowball and turn into one of these things where next thing you know, it's over in four or five games and we're all like, what just happened? And then Milwaukee, because I think Boston can beat them, I don't feel overly confident in them either. You know, and that, that's no knock. I think they're a great team. And, you know, it, it would I, I wouldn't be surprised if any of the four teams yeah. won. But it, it's almost like I'm probably like maybe 40% on Toronto and then split the other 60 between the other three almost pretty evenly. Tim Bontemps had a great analogy, though. He thinks it's a game of rock, paper, scissors. That just like one of these guys can beat the other one and it's just kind of when they catch each other and how the matchups go. And that's why he actually picked Toronto, um, just because he thought the matchup shook out better for him. But it really could go any of these four teams. Nobody, look, none of us are booking finals reservations yet. Like, you know, nobody, nobody's booking some hotel rooms yet. Um, it's it's a little too early to do that. You can't book your flight yet. Um, there's a lot of basketball left. And really the best basketball is as much as the first round was a, a, a nice appetizer. I think in the second round, like you said earlier, both series in both leagues are just going to be real wars, just really even matchups that become fascinating, like not just the players and the personalities, there's great X's and O's. It's just, it's going to be great. Yeah. All the first round did for me was confirm things. I thought I knew and get me more excited to see those teams match up and play each other in the second round. It was one of those things where I was like, you know, I think Toronto can do this. I think Philly might be able to do this. And then they all went out and did it. And now it's like, all right, here we go. And it's so funny. I'm sure you've had this conversation with a million basketball people too, because I really have. When do we ever get, it was what, right around Christmas when I think we all said, geez, you know, I think it's going to be some order of Milwaukee, Toronto, Philly, Boston, some order of those four teams are going to be there in the second round. It's going to be awesome. And that was, you know, four or five yeah. months ago. And here we are. And it's, we're actually getting it. It almost feels like this never happens. Almost always somebody suffers a serious injury and then it throws the whole thing out of whack. And then there's an upset. And all of a sudden, instead of, you know, that now we've got, you know, uh, uh, Orlando and Philly and it's like, Oh, well that's, you know, fun, but it's still not what we thought. And here we are. And then to top it all off, we're getting warriors rockets in the second round, which no, no one, no one could 
could have envisioned and expected. So kudos to Denver for, you know, kind of playing play it perfectly that, yeah. there, you know, to make that happen. But, but yeah, this second round is just going to be awesome. I can't, I can't wait. It's, you know, I mean, I'm going to watch no matter who it is. I mean, I, I watch Suns Bulls on a Tuesday night in the middle yeah, of exactly. you know, February. But, you know, it's, it, you know, with this, I, I'm going to be locked in on these games just, you know, from tip to tip to the end. And then, you know, and then you're going to be thinking like, all right, well, what are they going to do different next game? And I and I do think, you know, these teams are, you know, it, it could be game to game. We could get some really good long series here, too, which is something we all love and enjoy. Yeah, I think these series are going to go uh, really deep and and. By the way, that that Houston Golden State series is the de facto Western Conference Finals. They will play another round because that's the way the, the way the battle bounces. But I think the winner of that series is through to the finals, and frankly, is the finals favorite. Um, although I think the teams in the East are capable, especially if it's Houston, it could happen. But that's a that is just that is going to be one heck of a series. Yeah, I agree with the, with that. Um, you know, thought line of thinking there. I think what you're hoping for, if you're Portland, Denver, San Antonio, is that it's a seven game war and they're just worn down and they're yep. not ready to go. And maybe you ended yours in five or six games. Maybe you know the ball bounced the right way and that was able to happen. I don't think that will happen. Whatever the other opposite side matchup is, but but that's what you're hoping for, and then. You know, you 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 can trip them up and get there, and then you know if you're the East, you're hoping, or right, well, they beat each other up there. Then maybe one of those other teams can push them in the next round, and now we're through. But I think the I I really think, you know, as much as the first round feel right, it feels like it started a week ago because it kind of did, and now it's over, and now it feels like it's you know here here we are, you know, going into what I think though it might end up being you know a second round where I'd be surprised if really any of these series are over and you know, more than six, six games. And I think we might even get some sevens. Yeah, exactly. I, the first round, w- there's only one series that's going to go six. Cause we know it's going to go at least six between, um, you know, San Antonio and, and Denver, but for all the intensity, everything ended quickly. Everything went, you know, I, I can't say according to form because I don't think any of, I mean, technically Portland was the higher seed, but I don't think anybody picked them, yeah. but that said it, it all went quickly and it's, it sets up for, you know, it's it just sets up for a great second round. Thank you coming on for coming on, Keith. Where can everybody find you online? Do you want you want to wave goodbye to Russell Westbrook while you're at that? <laughs> yeah, I'll rock the baby a little bit and give him a little surprise <laughs> and tap my wrist and say it's you know fourth quarter time here. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA, and you can find my written work at Real GM. Um, we I just uh, did a round of 2019 cap space projections there. Oh wow. Get some off-season previews coming. We've got a lot of free agency stuff we're working through and planning for for Yahoo. So there'll be some work up there as well. And then Celtics-specific coverage over at Celtics Blog as part of SB Nation all the way through as long as this goes. Um, you know, I do a, a takeaways column at the end of each uh, game. Uh, then the next day, where I go through and if the NBA site is cooperating, which hasn't been lately, I pull some. <laughs> yeah, it's been up and down lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not the you only know, person noticing that. Let's just. So, yeah, yeah, you, you, me, and about 700 other writers who you rely yeah. on it daily. So hopefully they'll get that fixed. But thankfully, the Celtics Twitter account and I tend to seem seemingly be in sync where it's like, that's the play I wanted. Cool, it's there. Every once in a while, I miss one. But, you know, the, so that's where you can find all my stuff. You know, really, you know, I, I just I love the play. I love the NBA playoffs so much because it's, you know, night to night, you know, you're getting some good stuff. And, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do if all these series end and we get a couple of days off, I guess, catch up 
on the DVR and spend time with the family is. Yeah, probably... I, 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 I just noticed that the other night I'm like, we could have no games Friday night. Yeah. What, what yeah. will I do? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. For okay. me, it'll probably be well. I, earlier in the day, I'm, I'll be uh, watching Avengers. After that, it'll be all right. I guess oh, I'll do something. I, I have my tickets for Monday morning. That is, yeah. Oh, so. What <laughs> the right. kids are back in school, drop them off, and then <laughs> head to the theater. Go. So that's that's a plan. All right, thanks everybody for listening. We will be back next week with more uh, Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.